Romans chapter 11. Good to be back with everybody this morning. Good to uh, gather again today. We appreciate the prayers while I was sick the last couple of weeks. And thank you for your thoughtfulness and all the messages that was sent to me through Facebook and everything. So I appreciate that. It's good to be back today. Romans chapter 11. We're going to be looking today at verse uh, 26. Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. The Bible says, And so all Israel shall be saved, and as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This passage, I know that I'm plucking this basically out of a further, longer passage of Scripture that Paul has been dealing with, particularly Romans 8 through chapter 11. But I particularly wanted to look at this verse uh, this morning. Um, this is not to be necessarily a uh, statement of eschatology or anything else other other than in an attempt, maybe a feeble attempt, uh, but as the Lord gives me direction and gives me understanding and ability to speak it, I pray that I speak the truth as it pertains to what this passage means in light of the context and the interpretation given by the scriptures. Um, growing up, uh, I used to believe a different way of eschatology. Um, and again, I don't mean this to be a, an eschatological uh, sermon, but it does deal with some some views, some thoughts about eschatology and, and what is going to happen with the nation of Israel uh, and everything. Uh, I don't know if I can particularly um, say exactly everything that I believe about eschatology as I still am learning and still growing and in, in understanding in, in, in some things. Um, the things the Lord has, uh, I hope, taught to me in these areas um, uh, has uh, become different than what I used to think. I used to think that uh, uh, Israel uh, was the people of God and that ethnic group was going to be at some point in time later in history, later in future, not history, in future, uh, that the people of Israel would be gathered back together. And I used to harp on them. In fact, I passed out tracks at one time talking about the importance of Israel becoming a nation in 1948 and uh, different things about eschatology and the end times and that Israel would be gathered back together as a nation and then they'd be ruling with Jesus for a thousand years over the nations and all this kind of stuff and, and that's how I used to think and that's how I used to uh, believe that these scriptures were interpreted. But as the years have gone by and as the Lord has taught me, um, and I hope that He's taught me, um, and if it be the truth, uh, that Scripture interprets Scripture, not men interpreting Scripture. 
My interpretation doesn't mean anything. Your interpretation doesn't mean anything. It's what does, how does the Bible interpret these things? And whenever we read of things in the Old Testament as it pertains to the types and the foreshadows, as it pertains to the symbols, as it, in, uh, as it entails all the uh, prophecies that was given, that was spoken about, we have a uh, we have a physical aspect of it. We have a spiritual aspect of it, and I believe in all things the overarching understanding of Scripture is always going to point to the spiritual aspect of it more than it is going to uh, to the physical aspect. The physical aspect is there to reveal the spiritual truths. We see this often in not only the types of foreshadows as in the ark was a type of foreshadow. It was a physical thing that actually saved eight people whenever the flood came. The wicked was taken away. The righteous remained, was saved. The ark represented Christ. Uh, those who were righteous that was saved inside represented all the elect of God. The wicked were the ones who were the, the uh, tares who God gathers together and takes away at the end, at the end of all things. Uh, we see that the nation of Israel uh, always served as a as an illustration of God's people uh, in their deliverance out of Egypt, deliverance through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, into Canaan. <coughs> so we see types of foreshadows all through the Scriptures. But whenever we look into the Old Testament and we see these things, we see that their ultimate fulfillment is in the spiritual realities of it. And whenever we look to the old, at the Old Testament, we need to always look in the New Testament and see if there is any commentary in the New Testament that sheds light on these Old Testament prophecies. Uh, there are several that I could go to, and I don't have time because there's a lot that I'd like to say this morning. Uh, but there are a lot of places that I could take, take you to where whenever you look in the Old Testament, you see a prophecy that, and, and I'll just speak for myself, that in times past that I took that prophecy as a literal fulfillment now and something that's going to happen later on in the future. But yet whenever you look at the New Testament, the New Testament takes that prophecy and refers to it in a spiritual manner and places a different interpretation on it than what we commonly see in a lot of uh, dispensational premillennial thought. And uh, those words may be foreign to you guys. Uh, I won't go into all that, but it's just a different view of eschatology. Um, so the way I've been led to interpret the Old Testament is in light of the New Testament commentary on the Old. Um, so if a spiritual application is given in the literal passages of the Old Testament, then I take the New Testament commentary on the Old uh, as what it meant. And I guess I need to really give just a quick def or quick example of in the Old Testament whenever the Bible talks about Jesus ascending to the throne of David, some take that to mean that in the end time, in the millennial, what's called a millennial reign, that Christ is going to ascend the throne of David with an iron rod and he's going to rule over the nations during this thousand year period. Well, the passage that speaks of Jesus ascending to the throne of David in the New Testament, Peter, in his sermon uh, at Pentecost, uh, he gives uh, commentary on that very passage, meaning that it is speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he lays the interpretation of that passage not on something future 
that's going to happen with Jesus ascending the throne in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives or in the new temple or over with the Israelites, you know, the, the, the uh, nation of Israel being on thrones with him ruling and reigning for a thousand years. He takes that interpretation and he applies that to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now, I, if I believe that that prophecy was talking about a thousand year reign, I have to dump that because Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down that that prophecy has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's just one example. There's many others that we can go to. Uh, so therefore, uh, what was what's literal in the Old Testament like again the ark being built people getting in the ark being saved the water coming and taking away all the wicked I mean that was a literal thing that really happened but it was a literal thing that God purposed in his uh, in his uh, predestinating uh, decree that would happen so that that physical activity would represent and show forth and teach a spiritual reality and so we have to take this literal type and foreshadow, and in the New Testament, as we see, we take and we apply the spiritual meaning, the spiritual understanding of that, as we find it in the New Testament. And so I understand what Paul was conveying here, and this is the question uh, at hand, is whenever Paul says here in Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Is this talking about in the end times is all Israelites on the face of the earth going to be saved? Um, is that what this is talking about? And I would at one time say yes, that was what it was talking about. But as I've come to understand now, and especially through the, the context of Scripture, uh, this would be a big no. That's not what this is saying. Uh, and I think that we will see uh, as we go forward in this. Uh, Paul was conveying when the Holy Ghost had him write this, all Israel will be saved, is that the all Israel here is not speaking of the ethnic seed of Israel, the national or the physical people of Israel, okay? But it's talking about the spiritual seed of Christ. All Israel being saved is not an ethnic, national, physical thing, but it is a spiritual group of people. And this spiritual group of people is made up of people outside of Jews, but also include Jews. It includes the Jews and the Gentiles, and I think we'll see that as we go through. There will be a remnant of uh, ethnic or national Israel, the people of Israel, who will be part of God's elect. Uh, however, uh, all of Israel, as I understand it, the spiritual seed of Christ, is made up of remnants, not just of Israel, but is made up of remnants out of, as the Bible puts it, every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So there's a remnant out of the Jews, there's a remnant out of this kindred, out of this nation, out of this tongue. Uh, and all those, whenever they are brought out of the, the, the world, as they are brought out by Christ to understand, to know, to begin to believe the gospel uh, as the elect of God, this makes up the whole people of God who is the true Israel or the spiritual Israel. Now the reason I'm making this, uh, going over this and everything, 
is because there are some that say that this verse here is talking about all the people of Israel nationally or ethnically, physically, will be saved at this particular time uh, in the future that there will be this time when all the people on the face of the earth that are true Israelites as far as ethnicity is concerned will be saved, just automatically be saved because they're Israelites uh, they're going to be saved and is that true? Is that what the Bible teaches? And so our task for today is to look into the scriptures and say what does God's word say about this and not so much what does uh, some uh, eschatological groups say about this. Now I will agree that Romans chapter 10 and 11, 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, Romans in general is primary, primarily speaking to, speaking to ethnic Israel. Uh, but Paul begins this discourse all the way back in chapter 8. What we read here in chapter 11 is the summarization or is the final conclusion, the, the final argument I should say, maybe even uh, the uh, um, the uh, uh, revealing of what he began all the way back in chapter 8. Now, of course, this is all one big letter to the Roman church, right? And so everything in 1 through 7 has a lot of effect, and that's a lot of doctrine. 1 through 7, Paul puts forth justification. Paul puts forth how people are saved uh, through the faith of Jesus Christ. How Christ's faithfulness and righteousness brought in salvation for the people of God and how that we are justified before God and that God can be just in saving sinners and that how God can can uh, save us even though we're sinners and don't deserve it that through Christ Jesus' righteousness we are imputed His righteousness through His obedience, through His work of righteousness, that is imputed unto us. And so Paul deals with those things through the first seven chapters, but then in chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11, we begin to see Paul begins to make an argument here because not all of the people of Israel are receiving or believing this gospel message. Not all of them are believing on Christ. They've rejected Christ as their Messiah at this point. Israel has rejected Christ as their Messiah overall, especially their religious leaders. They've rejected Christ. They've, uh, uh, they, they've looked at him to be some sort of a fake or a phony or a, a hypocrite, a blasphemer, uh, saying that he was himself God. Uh, so they did not believe that he was who he said he was. And... Everything pointed that he, he was. I mean, he did everything that the Old Testament uh, prophesied that the Messiah would be and do. He fulfilled every bit of that. And that was right before their eyes. Even when Nicodemus came and talked to Jesus by night in John chapter 3, uh, he even said, we know that the things that you do, that no man can do these things unless he's a man from God. I mean, he knew that the, these things. I mean, over and over they knew that... that the things that Jesus was doing, the healing of people, uh, uh, the miracles, all the miracles that he was doing, that the only one that can do that is someone who's God or from God. And so they did not believe, though, that he or received that he was Messiah because this is not the Messiah that they wanted. This is not the Messiah they thought was coming. 
They thought the Messiah was going to come, going to rid them of all their enemies, prop them up <laughs> on thrones, and they were going to rule over all the nations with their Messiah. Because their Messiah was their Messiah. Nobody else's Messiah except the, for Israel. Now see, that's almost exactly what dispensational premillennialism is teaching, and, and even some just that claim it to be historic premillennialism still believe that Israel is going to be placed to this prominence or going to be glorified in this manner uh, with Christ. And um, they're saying nothing, nothing more than what the the Old Testament Jews was, or yeah, the Old Testament Jews were believing is that this is what Messiah is going to do. Now, um, with that being said, so Paul is writing to these people who have this in view, and he's saying, listen, salvation, God's salvation, Messiah's salvation, isn't what has been taught to us all these years. Now, it's been taught, God revealed it to us in, 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 in a mysterious way or in a hidden way, not a full-veiled uh, understanding of everything, but the gospel was being preached in the Old Testament about the Messiah and what he was going to do and that a Messiah was going to come and was going to be their righteousness and save them. So that had been, but Paul was saying we got it wrong on exactly how things was going to take place and what Christ was going to do, what Messiah actually did. And so the gospel became offensive to those people. And so Paul, in writing in Romans, has laid down a doctrinal uh, 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 doctrinal defense for God's salvation. And in part of that, he has to deal with the thought of, wait a minute, we're Israelites, but not every Israelite has been receiving Jesus, has not been uh, believing on Him, has not been trusting in Him, has not been converting from Judaism to Christianity. They've not been following Christ. They've rejected Him. So what about that? Is God lied about His promises to Israel? That they were going to be heirs and that they were going to receive the promises and the inheritance and that all this stuff that God promised Abraham, that His seed was going to receive. Is God lied about that? Because you're saying that not everybody is receiving that. Not everybody's believing that. We see people are rejecting the message of Jesus. They're rejecting Him as their Messiah. But yet you're saying that they're going to be outcasts. You're, they're not going to be part of the, the inheritance. But yet they're Israelites. So see, that understanding that was going on during that time, that misunderstanding of how salvation was and how who it was for, uh, that was why there was such a, 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 a struggle in preaching the gospel during that time and why they met with such persecution during that time is because it was so ingrained for thousands of years that salvation of Messiah was for the Israelites only, for Jews only. But yet, the Bible, even in the Old Testament, talked about the Gentile inclusion, that salvation was going to be brought to the Gentiles. And so, while I know this is speaking primarily to ethnic Israel, Paul begins this discourse course back in uh, 8 and 9 and he talks about how the promises is not to ethnic Israel 
but it's to spiritual Israel. It's to the spiritual seed of Abraham, not for the ethnic or national or physical seed of Abraham. Abraham's true seed that was in view whenever Christ gave the promises of what Messiah would do for them was given to the, the children of promise, not the children of the flesh. And we're going to see that here in a minute whenever we read through some of the verses uh, before us. So turn with me if you would, back to Romans chapter 8 and let's kind of go through this. And, and, and my, my argument this morning is that Romans 11.26, when it says all Israel shall be saved, is talking about all spiritual Israel, not physical Israel. It's not talking about physical Israel, but it's talking about spiritual Israel. Although physical Israel is being talked about in a lot of the passages, woven in the middle of that is an argument that Paul is making, is that physical Israel is being saved, but the only ones that's being saved to physical Israel is not all of them in totality, but only those who God foreknew, the children of promise, the spiritual ones, the remnant of Israel is being saved. The residue, as it will be seen in the Scriptures, is being saved. Just like among the Gentiles, not all the Gentiles are going to be saved, but there will be a remnant or a residue from every nation, tribe, tongue, language, uh, or kindred uh, in there. So let's go back to chapter 8, and let's kind of see where Paul uh, begins speaking on some of these things, and let's... Look at some of the verbiage that the Holy Spirit uses. Let's look at some of the things that Paul is setting up as an argument before we even get to chapters 10 and 11. Uh, and, and let's see what Paul has to say. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading in verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. Now, I've mentioned this to you guys before. That just, in a lot of modern translations of the Bible, it says, to them who are called. Right? It's who are called. The the is, is not there. But in the Greek, that the is actually in the Greek as a definite article. Now, just a little grammar lesson here. Whenever you have a definite article before a word, that means that there that article is not just, you know, that word the there is not just meaning something in general, but is meaning something specific. The called. Okay, not just called, as in everyone who's called. And the reason why I bring that up is because, and this was my mentality at one time and how I used to preach things, we preach the gospel all the time to anybody that will listen, right? To anybody that's out there. Like right now, I'm preaching the gospel to you. Okay? Uh, but the only ones that actually can hear the gospel, truly hear it and understand it spiritually, are those who the Lord gives spiritual understanding to because of the new birth. And so the call goes out to everybody, but not everybody uh, understands it. So my mentality, at least, and I'm going to again go back to what I say, not what other people have said, but what I, I used to say is that, so therefore the called is everybody. Everybody's the called because everybody, the, the gospel is being preached to everybody. Okay? But that's not what the Bible is teaching. 
The Bible is not teaching that the call is just everybody who the, who hears or who the sound of the gospel goes out to. It's everybody who is called of God to be His. The called is those who are the elect of God from before the foundation of the world who God foreknew, and we'll see that here in a second, that God foreknew that He gave to Christ Jesus in the covenant of grace. In the covenant of grace, God gave a people to Christ. Christ became their mediator, became their surety. They were united to Him. His righteousness imputed to them. Their future sins to be imputed to Him. So Christ became their mediator, became their uh, substitute, became their surety. And so they are called the called. It is a specific group of people. That's why the definite article D is there. Because it's talking about a specific group of people being called. Not everybody in general being called, but the specific people being called in a specific type of call. Okay? So here... Paul is already setting up that God is operating not on everybody, but on a specific group of people, and they are called the called. We know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. They are the called according to His purpose. Now, I want you to pay close attention to the phrasing that the Holy Spirit uses here. They are the called according to the purpose of God. They are the specific group of people that are going to be the recipients of the special call because it's according to the purpose of God. God has a purpose in them being a special group of people who are the called. Alright? Now look at verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Now, who was the ones that was predestinated? The ones that he foreknew. Now, I just mentioned a while ago that this people called the called is a special group of people that God foreknew and gave to Christ, right? Do you have scripture for that preacher? Right here. For whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Who are the called ones? The ones that He foreknew and predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's who the called is. It is a specific group of people. It's not just everybody in general who the gospel message goes out to, but it's a specific group of people who are called not in time by the preaching of the gospel, but who are called before the foundation of the world in the everlasting covenant of grace as the people of God whose names were written down in the book of life, whose people was given to Christ as His people, the children of God. That's who the called is. Those whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And look, whom He called, them He also justified. So this group of people are the people who are justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Now let me say this. 
we are going to be glorified at the end of this time. Whenever Christ comes again, we are going to be glorified. We're not going to be glorified as, as God, but we are going to be glorified as the people of God. A group of people who God saved who didn't deserve it. They're just as bad as the tares, as the, as the goats. They're worthy of damnation and hell, just like the goats, the, uh, the, the tares, the, the non-elect, the reprobate, whatever name you want to put to them. They are in the same lump of clay, natural man, as them. They don't deserve that. However, the only difference is, is they were called. And they were justified. And therefore, they were glorified. So the only ones who are going to be glorified at the end when Christ comes is those who are part of the called. The ones who were foreknew and predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. Those are the ones who are going to be glorified. So this notion of Israel is going to be, as a nation, is going to be glorified during a millennial reign and everybody else that's in the nations are going to be under their co-rule uh, uh, co with Christ for a thousand years uh, doesn't jive with the Bible that says that it, that these people who are the called are going to be the ones who's glorified. <clears throat> now someone will say, well that's two different glorification. We're not, we're talking about, that's talking about the glorification at the end when all the elect of God are glorified as the people of God and all like this. Israel is going to be given this status because they are the elect of God. Again, brethren, Israel is a type and foreshadow of all the people of God, not an ethnic group in and of themselves that's going to be glorified. We see this throughout Scripture. The Bible is very clear about this. We're going to see these verses in a minute. So hang with me. Don't get, uh, don't let this, you know, kind of run over you and you kind of glaze over on me. All right. So the ones who are glorified are the ones who were foreknew. They are called the called. Now let's look at verse thirty-one. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So God is going to give us all things because of what? Because we are in that group of people. We are in that called group of people. Because we are in the group that according to the purpose of God, he called and those whom he called, he called because he foreknew them and predestinated that they were going to be conformed to the image of Christ and then that they will be justified and that they will be glorified. All right? So we are given all things because we have been made the children of God, the heirs of God, the seed of Christ, the children of Christ. That's why we're given all things. We receive all things, reward, inheritance because we are the children of God. Romans 8.33 Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? See there, he's talking about God's elect. Is he talking about ethnic Israel? No. He's talking about spiritual Israel. He's talking about the people of God as it pertains to the seed of Christ. Okay? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth uh, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we see that there is a certain people, uh, the called, who are the called according to God's purpose. And these people who are the called according to God's purpose are called the elect. And they are the recipients of God's love and redemption. As we've seen here, they are the recipients of everything that God is going to give to them. They're going to be blessed with all things. They're going to be given all things. And it is they, those who are the called, the elect, who are the ones who are considered children, heirs, joint heirs. matter of fact, go with me back to Romans uh, in uh, chapter 8. And go, go with me to verses 16. 17. Remember, we're trying to keep all this in context, right? The Spirit itself, verse 16, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Okay? So one of the activities, one of the works of the Spirit in the child of grace, in the child of God, in the seed of Christ, in the called, in the elect, the people of God, whatever term we want to put on that, right? One of the works of the Spirit is that the Spirit bears witness with the child of God that they are actually children of God. This is why I reject the notion of us wondering whether or not we are His people or not. That that we, we can't know. Well, the Bible says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His children. That's why I believe that whenever the Bible says that we have a hope, it's not a, well, I hope so, but it's that we are actually given a hope, an earnest expectation that that is ours, that we are that children, that we are the heirs, that we are the recipients of God's grace, that He has given to to us, that all those promises He said is for me. And it's not that I receive that or believe that or cling to that or hold to that or know that or are assured of that because of any outward work that I do, but it's because of the inward work of the Spirit that is in me that testifies to me or witnesses to me, or as it says here, that beareth witness to me that I am the children of God. So one of the activities of the Spirit of God to the elect of God is that He bears witness in them that they are the children or the recipients of these promises. And verse 17 says, And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. See, we're going to be rejected. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be scorned. We're going to be hated. We're going to be not liked. We're not, they're not going to listen to us. They're not going to like us. They're going to unfriend us on Facebook. They're not going to want to come to our church anymore. They're not going to 
you know, they're not going to want to have friends. They're not going to invite you to preach at their Bible conference anymore. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to reject what you have. Matter of fact, there may be a time coming that whenever we preach these things here, that we may actually physically be persecuted. And the governments and the people around come and say, if you preach that anymore, you know, we're going to hang you. We're going to do something drastic to you. I mean, it's happened in the past. Every one of the of the disciples, except for a couple, every one of them was martyred, was killed because of their preaching of the gospel. It wasn't killed because they were stirring up trouble and rioting and tearing down houses and all that stuff. No, they were preaching contrary to what people believed, and people hated it. <coughs> Governments hated it. And therefore, because they didn't like what they were saying, they killed them. And don't think that ain't going to happen to us, or could happen to us. So here we see in Romans, again, that in the context, the people who are the ones who are receiving the adoption, the ones who are receiving the um, uh, the heirship, the ones who are receiving the glorification, the ones who are, and if you're an heir, that means the inheritance belongs to you, right? So that's just kind of naturally understood here, that if you are an heir of God, then the inheritance of God belongs to you because you're an heir of God. If you're a children of God, child of God, then the inheritance belongs to you. Okay? So Paul here isn't making a reach or a stretch. I'm not trying to make a reach or a stretch. I'm just trying to say this is what the Bible says. These promises have been made to say that it's the called. And it says that the called or the elect is according to God's purpose. And this isn't talking about an ethnic group of people. It's talking about a spiritual group of people. Now... With that being said, Paul now begins in Romans chapter 9. and So turn with me now to Romans chapter 9. And this is where the argument is that whenever he says, therefore all Israel will be saved, or so all Israel will be saved, is a conclusion to an argument that we find here early in Romans chapter 9. Okay? So read with me here, Romans chapter 9, we'll start in verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness, me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Here it is, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So here he's saying, I'm making a distinction here. I have a heart's desire for my kinsmen according to the flesh, Israelites, Jews. I have a kindred that is of the flesh that I have a heavy burden for. He says, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption? Well, what does that mean? Whenever he says, to whom pertaineth the adoption? Okay? Well, it was to the Israelites that God, as a nation there, that God preached and taught the adoption of children. <coughs> Nobody else received that, 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 that preaching or that, that claim to be adopted as God's children. It was Israel that received all that stuff. Look what else he says. He says, 
and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. This is all talking about that Israel in the Old Testament was the only ones who was the recipients of this activity of God among these people. Now just because that activity was among those people doesn't mean that those people were the recipients of everything in salvation. But again, as the type and foreshadow of God and His elect, spiritual elect, God showed that these and only these people are the recipients. These and only these people are the ones who was given the service. These people and only these people are the ones who will see the glory of God. So just like the national Israelites and what God gave to them in the Old Testament, that is a type or a foreshadow signifying their true reality in spiritual Israel. That the spiritual salvation of Messiah and all of the inheritance that is involved in that and being His child is going to fall upon that spiritual seed of Christ. Look at verse 5. Who are the fathers and of whom was concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all God bless forever. Amen. Now here it is in verse 6. Here is what Paul is dealing with. Because Paul is saying well the Israelites are saying Paul your gospel is that there is an elect that's also including Gentiles. You're saying you're the apostle to the Gentiles but yet we understand the Bible to say that salvation is only for the Jews. Salvation is only for those who are the seed of Abraham. Salvation is only for the Israelites, not for the Gentiles. And so how can you come and say that there is an elect of God from before the foundation of the world that God chose apart from anything and that there is no righteousness that we can do of our own, that it's only based upon this Messiah guy that came that you say is the Messiah? that we reject as the Messiah? And so you're saying that God's Word now is made void? God's Word is not true? That God lied to us? All these things that God gave to us and did for us, that God lied in all of that? That's what, he's, that's what the argument is. And so Paul is saying, listen guys, again, it's not what we thought it was going to be. Our eyes were blinded. It was covered. It was veiled. We didn't have the full understanding, the full truth. But now we have that if the Spirit has enlightened our eyes. We have that. And look at verse 6. He says, Not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect. He says, Now, before you start thinking something otherwise, God's Word hasn't fallen. It hasn't failed. It hasn't been storied on. Okay, God didn't lie to you. And here's why. Here's why God's Word is has not taken none effect. Because they are not all Israel which are of Israelites. Or of, of, of Israel. So God is saying they are not all Israelites who are of the Israelites. So what does that mean? They are not all Israel which are of Israel. Israel. Paul makes a distinction between one kind of Israel and another kind of Israel. This kind of Israel is made up of people that doesn't necessarily make up all these people. This Israel 
there's parts of this Israel that make up this Israel. But all these people that are Israel is not necessarily these Israel. So Paul's making a distinction between two types of Israels, two kinds of Israels. There is a ethnic or a national or a physical Israel. And then there's another Israel. This Israel over here isn't made up of everybody that's in this Israel. And everybody that is in this Israel doesn't automatically become this Israel because they are this Israel. You understand what I'm saying? I hope that ain't getting muddy. Just because you're physical Israel doesn't mean you're part of inheritance Israel. Spiritual Israel. Just because you are of the physical seed of Abraham doesn't mean that you are the spiritual seed of Abraham. Only the called, only the elect, only the ones God foreknew of the physical Israel are the ones who will be the recipients with the spiritual Israel. That's what Paul's saying. It is not as though God's word hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And here is it, verse 7, plain as day. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. So see, it doesn't matter if you're the physical seed of Abraham. God is not accounting the physical seed of Abraham as the uh, prerequisite to receive the inheritance or to receive the promises. That's not the prerequisite. God isn't looking on the flesh. God's looking at the spiritual part. So that's why I say, I think that the spiritual teaching, the spiritual understanding, always supersedes the physical teachings. The physical teachings may have their fulfillments, may have their issues that that come to fruition at some point in time, but the ultimate thing is not the physical, it's the spiritual. The spiritual reality is that the inheritance that is spoken of, that is foreshadowed by the physical in the Old Testament, is the spiritual reality. We are spiritual heirs of God, not physical heirs. We're spiritual heirs. The things that we are going to receive are spiritual rewards, not physical rewards. They're not fleshly things. They're spiritual things. The things of the flesh are nothing. They mean nothing. They will die. They are, they are of no use. But it's only the things of the Spirit that count. Now look what he says there. Neither because, verse 7, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. What does that mean? If you remember, Isaac was the seed of, or was the child of promise. Abraham was promised. You're going, you and Sarah are going to have a son. You're going to have a child. And out of that son, there's going to be a mighty nation come from that. And Abraham and Sarah, they thought that was kind of funny because they were old and they were past being able to produce children. Okay? And they thought, well, this is crazy. I don't, we're, we're old and how, how are we going to do this? So they waited and they waited and nothing had happened yet. And so they decided to take things into their own hands. And so Sarah said, I'm obviously not going to be able to produce you a, a son, so won't you lay with my handmaiden? And so... Abraham laid with Hagar 
and Hagar got pregnant and then they had a son. They named him Ishmael. But God said, Ishmael is not the child of promise. This is not, this is by your own hands. This is a child of the flesh. Not the child of the, the child of the promise is going to come and he's going to come whenever it is completely and totally beyond reason that you're ever going to be able to produce anything. See, brother, that's just like how it is with us. Our salvation doesn't come by what we can produce in the flesh. The only way our salvation comes is by something that we can... There is no possibility any way that we can do. That's why the law is so crushing upon us. That's why the law was given. is to show us that as, no matter how much you try to keep the law, you break it. It's, it's always there yelling at you, lawbreaker. That's why God, if you remember in Galatians... There was the illustration of Ishmael and Isaac, of Hagar and Sarah. There's two mountains. There's the Mount Sinai, and then there is uh, uh, Mount uh, uh, Mount Zion. Okay, there's two mountains there. There's two. The law was never intended to bring righteousness. Righteousness came by promise. Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac came whenever Sarah and Abraham could not produce children. God miraculously caused Sarah to be with child and produced Isaac. Isaac was a child that came of God's making, not the flesh's making. And so this is what Paul is trying to say. Those children who are the children of the flesh are not the children. It's the children of the promise. Look at it again. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. That would be national Israel, ethnic Israel, physical Israel. That's what he's talking about there. They which are the children of the flesh, by fleshly descendancy, by fleshly generation, by this man producing a fleshly child and that child producing a fleshly child and more children and more children until they become so many and they became a nation in a physical way. But Paul here is saying, even though we see that physical reality in the Old Testament and in times past believed that the promises and the heirship came because we were part of that physical descendancy from Abraham, God has made it clear to us now through the gospel that that is not the case. It is not the children of promise that was in view in that promise, but or excuse me, the children of the flesh that was in view in, the, in that promise, but it's the children of promise that is in view. It's the spiritual seed that was in view in the promise, not the physical. They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children. Now, Isaac was the son of promise, right? Not Ishmael. Ishmael and Isaac both came from Abraham. And remember, Abraham's seed was the one who was going to receive the promise. But did Ishmael receive the promise? No. He didn't receive a physical promise because he wasn't actually 
the child of promise. He was the child of the flesh. God rejected him. Abraham had to reject him. Him and Hagar was put out of the camp. So they was rejected. The child of the flesh is not the child of promise. And so here we see that anything of the flesh is not what is counted. So these promises are spiritual promises, not physical promises, not fleshly promises. So he says here, he moves on, not just in Isaac, but look at Isaac's sons. You could say, well, you know, Ishmael was from Hagar. It wasn't from Sarah and Abraham. Okay, well, Isaac was from Sarah and Abraham. And Isaac, who was the child of promise, had two sons. Matter of fact, not only were they two sons, so they were physically in lineage to Isaac and physically in lineage to Abraham and Sarah, but they grew in the same womb at the same time they were twins. Jacob and Esau. Both seeds of Isaac, seeds of Abraham, children from the promise, but yet in the womb before any had done good or bad. God chose Jacob as the child of promise and not Esau. The Bible says God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Whenever he said he hated Esau, he didn't mean he loved him less. When he said he hated Esau, he didn't say he hates Esau's sins. He hated Esau, meaning that he did not have any grace, he did not have any favor, he did not have any love for Esau. Look what it says there. Verse 11. Not yet born, having done any good or evil, and here's this phrase again, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Not of works, but of Him that calleth. So, here we're talking about the calling. We're talking about the purpose of God. We're talking about election. Electing, those who were elected are called the called. They are the called and elected because of the purpose of God in election. So that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of Him that calleth. If God is the one calling, and it's talking about election here, right? It's not talking about in time calling you to belief or calling you to faith, alright? Or calling you to the life or calling you to life or whatever. This is talking about the calling that is preceding all calls, which is before the foundation of the world. God calling a people for Himself. These are my children. They are now Christ. The called. If there is one who is calling, then that means there is someone who is being called. And what are they called? They're called. The ones being called are called the called. And they are being called, why? Because of election. And what is election? God's purpose. It says right here, according to the, according to the purpose of God. And the purpose of God is according to election. God's purpose in saying Jacob, not Esau, is according to his election. Because Jacob was part of the foreknown who was called. It says right here, look at verse 12. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Even though they were twins, even though they were born at the same time, it was Esau that came from the womb first, 
Jacob came, as the Bible says, clutching his heel. Jacob came out second. Therefore, Esau was the elder child. Jacob was the younger child. Even though they, they were born at the same time, Esau came forth from the womb first. So that made him the eldest child. Therefore, Esau should have been the recipient of the inheritance from Isaac. Because the elder son is the one who receives the inheritance. That's where you're supposed to pump your fist, huh? <laughs> uh, but God said that's not how it's going to be. Esau may be the eldest, but I'm choosing the youngest. Esau is going to serve the purpose of his brother. That's how it's been through all generations. The reprobate, the one that God hates, has been there and God continues to have um, long-suffering over them, them storing up wrath for the end. It's not God showing them common grace. It is in spite of that. God is showing long-suffering to them because they are storing up wrath for the end. But yet they are there to serve the purpose of God's elect. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? So God now proclaims that even though both Jacob and Esau were physical descendants of Abraham physical descendants of Isaac, the child of promise, coming from the same womb, at the same time, God did not choose Esau, but He chose Jacob to be a child of promise. Esau received nothing as a child, as far as redemptive work is concerned. So, with that being said, Paul makes this distinction and he speaks of God's purpose, that it's according to election, and that Jacob is going to receive it and not Esau. Now, let me just pause a moment here, because as sovereign grace believers, most generally, sovereign graces all around the world, wherever they are, always come to these verses to prove a point about election. Whenever an Arminian or a person who believes in free will and decision that we make our own choice to be saved, that we choose Jesus, all those things, that's what we mean by Arminian, that they believe that salvation is for everybody and that only those who choose it or receive it, who make that decision, you know, they're the ones who get that salvation. <clears throat> we sovereign gracious always run to this verse to prove election is true. Looky here. God chose one and not the other. God chose Esau to not receive anything, but chose Jacob to receive everything. And to make sure that that happened, you know what God did? God, by His providence, brought in that whenever Isaac, who meant well, He was going to bless Esau as the first child with all the inheritance. But what happened? God put it in the heart of uh, Isaac, or excuse me, of uh, of uh, Jacob and his mom, 
to fool their dad because Isaac had become blind and couldn't see to dress Jacob up like Esau and have Esau come or have Jacob come in and pretend to be Esau so that Isaac would bless him. And that's exactly what happened. Jacob came in, pretended to be Esau. Isaac, thinking it was Esau, put his hands on him, give him the blessing, and in turn bestowed all the inheritance upon Jacob. Only to find out later that Esau was the one who who uh, was not there. It was Jacob that was there. And whenever Esau came and complained and all like that, Isaac said, I can't, I've already given him the blessing. He's already received it. So see, God providentially made it where Jacob received that and not Esau. In the physical way, just as in the spiritual way, we don't deserve it. Jacob didn't deserve the inheritance, but God gave it to us anyway. Not because he was looking on what we had done, good or bad, but because we were in Christ Jesus. We were chosen in Christ. We received that inheritance. Now look, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? So Paul is saying, wait a minute. For God, for God to choose Jacob and not Esau, with Esau being a child of, of, of Isaac, of, a child of Abraham, he's a, he's a physical descendant. He should be part of this promise. Because he's of the seed of Abraham. See, this is Paul again proving that not all of, that is of Israel is Israel. This is Paul proving that there is a physical and there is a spiritual. And that it is the spiritual seed, not the physical. It is those of the spirit, not of the flesh, who are the recipients of the promise. Just right here, this is why Paul goes back to the Old Testament and gives this example. Because here is the greatest example of all time. Two men out of the same womb from the same mother who was impregnated by the child of promise who came from Abraham who was the first physical descendant of Abraham who was part of that physical promise. But yet God said, even though you might be part of the physical seed, Esau, you're not part of the spiritual. You're not part of the promise that I'm giving to Israel. So he says, is there unrighteousness with God? Has God's word taken none effect? That's what Paul is reiterating. The, the, the blaring question is, is God's word fallen? Is God lying to me? Is there unrighteousness with God? Because he promised to the seed that they were going to receive the inheritance. Esau surely the seed of Abraham. Nobody can deny that fact. Paul is saying, it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of the promise. It's the children of Isaac, the children of promise, the spiritual aspect, not the physical. Listen, Jacob didn't deserve anything. Jacob was a surplanter. That's what his name meant. He was a surplanter. He was the one who plotted all this stuff against Esau. He was the, he acted bad. He was hor- he was horrible. Jacob wasn't a great man at the beginning. He didn't deserve anything, but God bestowed His favor on him because He foreknew him. He loved him before the foundation of the world. He chose him. He was the call according to the purpose of God, according to election. So is there unrighteousness with God? Well, God forbid. 
So in keeping with Paul's thought, has the word of God taken an effect, we see here that um, verse 14 is bringing up that same question. Is there unrighteousness with God? And Paul says, God forbid. God forbid. God can and does uh, elect only a remnant out of the nation of Israel to be part of the spiritual and true Israel. Remember verse 6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. God has every right to choose out of the physical seed of Abraham to only save a remnant and not all of them. But everyone thinks that all of Israel has to be saved because they are of the seed of Abraham. That's not true. Not according to the Scripture. Might be true according to somebody's theological perspective in eschatological things, but it is not true according to the Word of God. Therefore, if it's not according to the Word of God, then it's untrue. Right? So God does do that. He is able to choose a remnant to be part of the spiritual, and those are the ones who are called the call. Now, look at verse 24. Even us whom he hath called. Who are the called? Remember who the called is. The ones who before the foundation of the world were called. Who God foreknew and predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. Who are the children of God, the joint heirs with Christ Jesus. The recipients of the promise. For uh, even us whom he hath called. And here it is, brethren. Not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles. See, Paul is saying that these, this people who are the called, this people who are the children of promise, who are the seed, the recipients of the inheritance, is not just of the Jews. That's why you're thinking God's word has fallen, because you think it's only for the Jews. But God's word has made it very clear that this is not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. That it's only for a remnant. There's a remnant being taken out of every ethnic group, not just the Jews. God started with you, but He's not going to just finish with you. God started with you, but you're of no more importance than the rest of the ethnic group in the elect of God. That everybody from every Gentile nation... There's going to be an ethnic group taken out of that that as God's elect, and they are of equal importance as those who are of the Israelite. Matter of fact, God calls them a true Jew, true Israelite. We'll see that here in a minute. But Paul corroborates this by quoting Hosea and Isaiah. Paul goes back to Hosea and Isaiah. Look at verse 25. I'll start there. As he saith also in O.C., and that word O.C. there is in reference to Hosea. That's another way of saying, that's the Greek way of saying Hosea. As he saith also in O.C., I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which were not beloved. Okay? Now that doesn't mean they weren't beloved at the foundation of the world. He's just saying as it was, as it was perceived in time, God only dealt with the Jews, with the Israelites. Okay, he only showed Himself to them. He only gave them the oracles, the priesthood, the service, the tabernacle. He only gave them the glory of God that came down 
uh, in their midst. Uh, whenever Christ came in the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire and walked among them and talked among them and showed Himself to them throughout the Old Testament. It was only to the Old Testament Jews. It was only to the Israelites that God did that. Okay, And that was a symbol and a, and a foreshadowing for the true thing, which is the people of God, elect of God, the spiritual Israel. That God only does this. He only reveals Himself to the elect. He only teaches the elect. He only gives them understanding. He only saves them. Okay? But we have found that that spiritual seed is not one ethnic group. It's out of every ethnic group. Out of. Called out of. That's what that word kaleo means. It means to be called out of. We're called out of every ethnic group. And so he says here, Hosea prophesied, he said, I will call them my people which were not my people. So he's talking about the he's talking about the Gentiles. The Gentiles will be called my people uh, that were not my people. And they will be my beloved which was not my beloved. See, you guys thought that you were the only ones and that you were the only beloved, but hey, I've got people over here too in the Gentile nations. And they're my beloved. Matter of fact, if you remember in the Gospels, Jesus said that he has sheep that are not of this fold. Whenever he prayed in John 17, he said, I have uh, other sheep that are not, not in the same sheep pen. He said, I have other sheep. Them, them I also must bring. You know, he, he had other sheep, they were his beloved. They weren't of Israel. He had sheep in other nations. And praise God that, he, that was, we were included in all that. So he goes on to say this. He says, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel. So that's Isaiah. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now, the children of Israel, spiritual, are those of both Jew and Gentile, as we see here. And the Bible says that they are the sands of the sea. This true Israel, that's made up of all kindred, nations, language, tongue, that this Israel is as the sands of the sea. Innumerable, right? But yet, out of Israel, ethnic Israel, there's a remnant coming out. They're not innumerable. It's numbered. There's a certain amount that's going to be brought out. Okay? It's a remnant. So, the rem- they are remnants, but from their respective ethnicities. And as they make up the whole, then they become innumerable as the sands of the sea. So there are some that are of national Israel who did not believe. And we know that the only way that somebody comes to believe uh, is by them being granted to believe by the Holy Spirit. Um, The new birth gives us life. And because we have that life, whenever the Holy Spirit grants us repentance and faith, we begin to believe on Christ Jesus. So these Jews are not going to be saved in any other 
way, this remnant of Israel that will be saved, as with the remnant from every other kindred and tongue, are all going to be saved the exact same way, and it's going to be a granting to believe on Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, if you would. It says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Well, wait a minute. I thought there was a difference in the Jew and the Greek. The Jews are the ones that's going to be exalted at the last at the last day at the millennium reign. They're going to be exalted on thrones and they're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ who has the rod of iron in his hand on David's throne on the Mount of Olives in the temple on top of the temple of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem and he's going to be reigning over all the nations and all the Gentile nations are going to be subservient to Israel for a thousand years while Christ reigns. Wait a minute. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says right here there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. That's what it says there in Romans 10 and verse 11. Right? There's no difference. And 12. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not will be saved, shall be saved. The ones who call on the name of the Lord are the one who is saved. So what's Paul making the argument here for? See, we cut these verses out of context. I used to do that. We used to make up tracts and hand out the Roman road of salvation. And this was one of the verses in the Roman road. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Meaning that if you call upon the name of the Lord, then He will save you for doing that. You only can be saved if you call upon the name of the Lord. That's not what this verse is saying. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be the saved ones. The ones who have been saved by Christ are the ones who have been granted repentance and faith to believe upon Christ, to call upon the Lord, to confess Christ Jesus. They're the ones who are saved. Not because they did that. They did that because they were saved. So Paul is making this argument. Why are not all Israelites believing because not all Israelites have been chosen. And because not all Israelites have been chosen, not all Israelites have been given the gift of faith to believe upon Christ. Therefore, they not all will believe, because not all of them were intended to be recipients of the gift of grace, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, to confess Christ Jesus and to believe on Him. Only the ones that you see believing are the ones who have been saved. That's what Paul is making the argument for here. The ones who were not ashamed before God and outwardly confessing Jesus Christ were the ones who have been saved and believed or hoped in Christ for their salvation. And they were not only from the Jew, but from the Gentile. So Paul's extending this discussion that the spiritual Israel, according to election, from the Jew and Gentiles would be to the ones who believed. Who is the recipients of these? The ones who believe. Well, who are the ones who believe? The ones who have been saved. Well, who are the ones who have been saved? The ones who have been elected before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 19. 
It says, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. So Paul begins to say how God ordained how the two groups of people would be used in bringing together one people. God chose the nation of Israel to bring jealousy to the Gentiles. What do you mean? You, you're the only ones that get it, not us? But the Lord was gracious enough to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so through dealing with the Jews only for an amount of time, then that brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Now God has rejected Israel, laid their Judaic system to waste. We're not a Judaic Christian church, by the way. We're a Christian church. We're the church of Christ. Right? It has nothing to do with Judaism. Judaism was laid to waste back in the first century. God laid them to waste. He said, your house will be left desolate unto you. And He did. He brought in, He killed all the Jews that was in that town, in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. Rome came in and decimated the whole place. Destroyed their temple, their place of worship, and their place of service. They had no way of serving God anymore. They had no way of performing all those things. Why? Because God laid it to waste. It was for a purpose, a small purpose of time to point to Jesus Christ. And the fulfillment of all of what that showed in type and forth shadow, including the physical people of Israel, was no longer needed because Christ had fulfilled all things. Now Christ fully on display, the gospel being preached in all of its fullness, now we no longer need the types and the foreshadows. And I would say we're not going to return to those types and foreshadows by a rebuilding of a temple, by a reinstituting of the service, by the Israelites being back into service and over everybody. That is a slap, to me, that is a slap in the face and blasphemy to what Christ Jesus has accomplished. Because He was the end and fulfillment. Everything that everything the Old Testament was pointing to was Christ Jesus. And He fulfilled all that. And He became everything that that prophecy was said and saying He was going to do. And He finished it all and He said, It is finished. And He told them that is no longer going to be needed, no longer going to be used. It's not going to be accounted for anything. That the religious leaders that were running the whole outfit were uh, children of the devil. And he laid it all the ways. Then for man to turn around and say, well, it's going to all be built back up again. We're waiting for that red heifer bull and we're waiting for that temple to be built on the Mount of Olives. And man, whenever that happens, that's going to be an amazing time. Jesus is going to be back. <coughs> the church is going to be raptured out and then all of Israel is going to be in control of everything over all people. The Bible teaches us the blasphemy of Jesus Christ and everything that He fulfilled. Why would He go back to the beggarly things of the world and the flesh and the services of the temple that were all there to point towards Him? Why would He go back to that? There's no need for that, right? So Paul begins to show how there are two groups of people. The Jews was there to make the Gentiles jealous. <clears throat> now they have been excluded and the Gentiles have been brought the gospel. 
And now the Gentiles are there to make the Jews jealous. Look what it says. Chapter 11. He says, I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people He foreknew. See, it never was the children of the flesh, it was the children of the promise, the ones He foreknew. See, he's not, he's not going against his word. You just misunderstood his word. That's what Paul is saying here. He's not going against his word. You just misunderstood his word. Not all that are of Israel are Israel. <clears throat> For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So I, I mean, I'm believing on Christ. I'm part of that. So he hasn't cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thy altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at the present time, also there is a remnant according to what? According to the promise of Abraham to the flesh? No, there is a remnant that God is going to save of Israel according to the election of grace. According to God's purpose, so that God's purpose according to election might stand. It's not as though God's word has fallen. God is not unrighteous in choosing one and not another among Israel because God has never intended to save all of Israel ethnically nationally, physically, but that there be a remnant. He says, And if by grace then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. See, the Israelites were seeking for that day that Messiah would come and that they would be ruling and reigning with Messiah. And you mean to tell me that that that... that what God said is not going to come true. Israel's not going to get what they've been seeking for all this time. What does he say then? What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. He said, wait a minute, that's not... They have obtained it, but it's only those who have been elected of God have obtained it. Not all, but the ones who have been elected. The true Israel have, elect, have obtained it. And the rest, he said, were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see. God give them that. God give them eyes so they wouldn't see. And ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. So you mean to tell me that God's going to save them even though He's turned them to where they cannot see, cannot hear, cannot respond? God's not going to save them. That's what God's saying. God has chosen some to save out of them, but the rest of them God has rejected, just like Esau. And they're not going to be the recipients of God's grace in giving eyes to see, ears to hear, 
that they might believe. I say, verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. For to provoke them to jealousy. So the reason that God does all this is so that the Gentiles would become jealous. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, now the world there is talking about the Gentiles. So if the fall of the Jews or Israel, God bringing desolation upon Israel, upon the Judaic system, if the fall of all that means the riches to the Gentiles, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, now I speak to the Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. So he's saying, listen, I magnify the fact that God's saving people out of the Gentiles so that it might make those of the Jews jealous. Now we know they're not, that, that just out of sheer jealousy, they're not going to choose Jesus and become saved. They're going to be saved just like anybody else is saved. God's going to grant that to them. But seeing that, or seeing that gospel being preached, that they're going to become recipients of that when given grace and faith. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. Now this is talking about Jesus. It's not talking about Israel being the first fruit being holy. It says, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about union in Christ. If they are united in Christ, whether they are Jews that in that time or Jews in this time, whenever time they are, if they be part of the root, then they're holy. If they're branches, that means they're tied to the root, and the root is holy. If they're united to Christ, they're the elect of Christ, and they're going to be recipients of all that Christ gives. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, that means us Gentiles who, you know, Jesus being the root, began with ethnic national Israel, and among them there were some that were believers that he chose, but the rest of them, they were broken off. Why? Because they were not, they were not true branches. They were producing any fruit. There was no life going through them. There was no fruit in them. They were not believing. They were broken off. Because they didn't belong there. The life was going through the branches. They were going through those who was united to the vine, to the branch, to the root, I mean. <clears throat> he said, but if you who were of a wild olive tree, and just using these as examples, were grafted in, you weren't the original, you weren't the first ones I dealt with. Remember, it was you were rejected all those years. But if you are now being brought in, and and now the union is being shown to the root, boast not against the branches. Don't say, well, ha ha ha, Jews are being cut off, but I'm being brand, you know. Don't be going around boasting against that. It says, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. 
Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Why? Because your faith didn't come by yourself. God gave you that faith. Just like them, the ones of Israel that were still there within the within the brand or within the root, they were there because God gave them faith. The ones that were broken off, because God didn't give them faith. So you better be thankful to God and not be boasting in yourself because you could be cut off just like the others, not given faith. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. That's what it's talking about. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fail. Severity, but towards thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness otherwise, thou shalt be, uh, thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So God's saying, listen, I can, I can bring anybody into this root that I want to bring into this root. Now God's giving us an illustration here. God's not doing this stuff in time. Okay, God's made the decision of who is part of this root before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the root. We're united to Him before the foundation of the world. God's given this as an illustration for us to understand in our mind using physical things again to bring forth a spiritual reality. God is saying if there's anyone who of the Israelites are believing, it's because God has given them faith to believe. The rest are cut off. If there's any of the Gentiles that are believing, it's because God has given them faith to believe and the rest of them are cut off. The only ones who are tied to the root and becoming profitable as far as producing fruit from the root are those who have been given it by the gift of grace. And if you've been given it by the gift of grace, you can't boast. You have no reason to boast because it's not of your words, it's of God's. God did that. He's the husbandman. He's the one who is the vine dresser, the vine keeper, the, the branch keeper. He's the root. He's the one holy. And the only reason you're holy is because He's holy. The only reason you're considered righteous and faithful is because He was righteous and faithful. The root supports the branches. The branches don't support the root. That's what He's saying. He says, For if thou were cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So what's God saying there? He's saying, listen, I have caused a blindness to be over these physical Israelites until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? Meaning all the elect out of all the nations of the Gentile nations that God has before the foundation of the world foreknew, predestinated to be uh, uh, conformed to the image of Christ, the ones who are the called, right? The elect of God until all those have come in, and then he said, when all those have come in, the fullness of the Gentiles is brought in, then the remnant of the physical children of Israel that still need to be elected, God will bring them in as well. Okay? That blindness is in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so... And so, so what does that mean? And so, in light of, in result of the fact that all the Gentiles are being brought in, and all those of 
Israel, ethnic Israel being brought in, Jew and Gentile of the elect, the called, the, the chosen, the heirs, the joint heirs, the recipients of the promise, the children of promise, the children of God, the beloved, what all, whatever word you want to use that describes those people who God foreknew before the foundation of the world and gave to Christ. He said whenever those of all the Gentiles and those of all the Jews come together and are brought together by God, and so all Israel shall be saved. Jesus was named Jesus because of what? The Bible says, You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. There shall come out of Zion a deliverer who shall save His people from their sin. What does verse 26 say? And so all Israel will be saved. What all Israel? Ethnic Israel? No. All the remnant of Israel who are the elect of God and all of the Gentiles from all their nations who are the elect of God will be brought in and they will all be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. (coughs) For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Brother, not just the sins of the Jews, but the sins of the Gentiles. How is it that all Israel shall be saved? It's not all ethnic Israel, it's all spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel will be all saved. Not one will be lost. Jesus prayed. All that you have given me, I have lost none. I have saved them all. It is finished. It's all done. I've done it all for them. There's nothing left to do. Everything has been purchased for them. Everything has been provided for them. Everything has been applied to them. They are the recipients. The inheritance is theirs. They are the children of God. Everything that I've done for them, on behalf of them, as their substitute, in, in as their surety, they will receive everything that is them, but them only. Of the Jew and of the Gentile, because there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have been concluded under sin, but all from every nation, tribe, tongue, have all been redeemed. But it's only those who were foreknown, the called. Is there any unrighteousness in God? And in the end day, not all of Israel being saved ethnically? No, there's no unrighteousness because God never intended for all of Israel ethnically, the physical seed of Abraham, to be saved. It is only those who are the spiritual seed of Abraham that will be saved. And we praise God that even though we be Gentiles, we have been grafted in if we be His. We don't boast in the fact that we've been saved. We don't boast in the fact that the Jews are not receiving these things at the moment. That doesn't mean, I don't, <clears throat> at least I don't believe, that even though that there is this massive blindness over the nation of Israel, the ethnic people of Israel, that God's not saving people from among that ethnic group as time goes around. But right now, the gospel is not making a lot of inroads into, into Israel. I know people that go over and preach the gospel in Israel, and most of the time they're attacked. It's because they don't believe that Messiah. They're blinded to it. They don't know it. But will God open up the eyes of, of, of ethnic Israel? Yes, and if He does, they will be saved. But if He doesn't, they won't be saved. And there is no guarantee that every one of them, head for head, because they are ethnic Israel, are going to be saved. There is a remnant. 
Just like in every nation, there's a remnant. All right, does anybody have any questions? Comments? All right. Father, we thank you again for this day, and we thank you for your word that you've given to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for salvation, Father. We know that we are not deserving of it, whether Jew or Gentile. And that God is no respecter of persons in the fact that he does not respect one nation over another, uh, one people group over another. Uh, He is a respecter of persons in the fact that he has an elect from the foundation of the world that he has shared his uh, love upon and given to Christ. And Christ, as their surety, has become their substitute and has become everything for them. And that his righteousness has been given to them. Their sins have been placed upon him. And he has taken all uh, of what they owed in that. And that he has uh, paid the price them and their sins have been forgiven and been removed and that his righteousness is now uh, laid to their claim that all the inheritance of who Christ is and what Christ has done is theirs and that Lord one of these days we will all Jew and Gentile be glorified with Christ Jesus whenever he comes we're thankful for that Lord we know we don't deserve it so I pray Lord this has been encouraging to the children of God I pray Lord that it has been uh the truth as it is in Scripture, Father, again, I pray that if I be in error, that you might correct me, that the Spirit might teach and, and give me a under, better understanding of your Word. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that if it be the truth, that it has uh, been edifying to your people. And, again, as always, Lord, I pray, if there's any here today that is your people, that you might give them grace, that you might give them repentance, Uh, and faith to the acknowledging of the truth that they might confess Jesus Christ uh, publicly that they might bring come forth for baptism uh, that they might uh, become part of the local church here and that they might uh, join in the ministry of the church Lord I just pray that uh, you might save them uh, in a uh, in a uh, physical way of, of bringing knowledge and understanding to them Lord uh, if they be yours, saved from all eternity uh, by by uh, union and by uh, imputation, uh, saved in time through the finished work of Jesus Christ on their behalf as the basis for that uh, and the fulfillment of all that, Lord. But now, Lord, we pray that you might bring them into the knowledge and understanding and the confession of that. And it's all in Christ's name that we pray these things.